0: Okay, here we go. Are you ready? You got your learning head on? Uh, I've been, I was talking to Ellen this morning and um, just talking about, for me, what church is meant to be like. Excuse me. Um, For me, church is a place where um, people like me do some teaching. There's a something is shared, something is given away, but it's also a place where I learn something. It's a place where I receive. It's a place where giving and receiving happens, but it's also a place where because of that giving and because of that receiving, there should be a growing. There should be a growing. And so I want to help you grow a little bit this morning. I'm going to teach you something that I've learned this week, that um, uh, I followed a... Do you ever follow rabbit trails, you know, not metaphorical ones, not real ones? You, you go, oh, oh, that's a thought. And I'll oh, just follow that thought and follow that thought and follow that thought. And then before I know it, I'm over here learning something new. And that's been my journey this week. And so I'm going to talk to you out of the book of Esther. So if you've got a Bible or uh, electronic device, switch it on, turn to Esther. But I'm not going to read to you anything out of Esther. Okay, But what I want to encourage you to do is read the 10 chapters of Esther for yourself. Read the story. I'm going to illuminate the story. But I want to tell you, I want to show you something that the writer of the book of Esther was doing. They were writing in a literary pattern to make a point. To make a point, and I'm going to tell you the point, all right? The point is this. The point is this. God knows you. God loves you. God is for you, not against you. And no matter where you find yourself, no matter what's going on, God loves you, likes you, knows you, is for you, and he will turn things around so, in the situation you find yourself where you can't see him, you can't sense him, you will suddenly have revelation and understand that he's been with you all the time. Okay? That's the point of the story of Esther. Okay? Now, in, in the literary sense, it's got a name. Okay? Romans 8.28 says this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We all, at times, will say, all things work together. Oh, it's tough, I don't understand what's happening, but all things work together. And it's like this go-to phrase that holds us in confusing times, and difficult times. But I want you to know that it's true. It's true, and I can show it to you from Scripture, but I can also tell you it's my experience also. But I want to show you this from the book of Esther, okay? So I'm going to have to paint a picture, because I haven't got time to read you the 10 chapters and explain everything as it's going along. So you need to read it for yourself with this in the back of your mind, that what you're reading is a chiasm, or a keyism. The book is a keyism. A keyism is a literary tactic that is used to illustrate the central point. Okay? Uh, it's called a keyism because uh, the, the pattern is shaped like an X. And in, the Greek lit- in Greek language, the letter X is said like key. C-H-I. And so it's called a chiasm because the, the way that the words and the story is patterned, it's like an X. One side, flipped upside down, is on the second half of the story. So this side, the first part of the story, has a pivot point, and the second side of the story mirrors the first side of the story, but in contrast. Are you confused? Keyism. It's C H uh, I A S M. Okay. Key, as in unlocking, ism. Okay. So here's. I'm going to just quickly go through the, the story. Very sketchily, but I'm going to make some points. Okay. So the six points with a chapter six in the story is the pivot, of the whole story. Okay. So we've got um the splendor of the Persian king is celebrated in the in the beginning of the book, for chapter one, and he has two banquets. And then it moves from the two banquets. He, uh, uh, Queen Vasti re- refuses to do what he's asked, what the king asks. Are you familiar with the story of Esther? Are you familiar? Yeah, yeah, good, good, okay. Okay. <laughs> You're gonna need to read it. But so uh Queen Vasti res- rebels and so the king decides he wants a new queen and so Esther becomes this new queen and Mordecai is her cousin who is her guardian and um, Mordecai hears about some slaves some eunuch slaves that are going to actually they're plotting to king Xerxes and he gets the message to um, Esther and Esther tells the king and, the, and the, this uh, murderous rebellion is quashed, quashed and so Mordecai saves the, uh, the king. Haman is um, a man, he's like the right-hand man to the king, and he's now becoming, he's self-promoting himself, but he gets promoted by the king, uh, and he's given the power, all the power, underneath the king. So he's elevated to this position of power, and then Haman decrees, because uh, Mordecai, he, he decrees that people should honor him and respect him, and Mordecai says, i um, over my dead body I'm not doing that I don't like you, I don't recognize your authority I don't like who you are, I don't like who you represent and I bow to nobody other than Yahweh and so he refuses and so Haman is incensed by this and so Haman decides, he finds out that he's a Jew so rather than just point at this man and just get this man, he's going to wipe out the Jews and so Esther and Mordecai uh, they decide they there's a decree made that um, that the Jews are going to be annihilated. And Esther and Mordecai decide to reverse this decree. So they plan, this is number five in the pattern. And then Esther's, now she's the queen, and she holds this banquet. And Haman plans, during this banquet, Haman plans to execute Mordecai on a stake that he has made preparations with. He says, put this stake up, and I'm going to put this man to death on this stake. Okay, so here's, it's very sketchy, but here's a pattern. And then chapter 6 pivots in the story. The king has a, he's having a snooze. Well, he's, he's trying to have a snooze, and he needs some bedtime reading. And so he gets somebody to read to him uh, the Chronicles of the King. And in the Chronicles of the King, he's reminded, he's reminded that this man Mordecai saved his life. And he thinks, I need to honor Mordecai. So he makes a decision within himself that tomorrow when he's up and about, he's going he's gonna to make uh, this man, he's going to elevate him to a place of recognition and honor him. And so Haman has got a plan. And so Haman comes to the king the next morning with this plan to actually sort out Mordecai. But the king says, before, he, before Haman can do anything, the king says, listen, Haman, I want you to honor Mordecai. I've been reminded that he saved my life, and so he makes Haman parade Mordecai on a horse around the nation, extolling the virtues of this man. And so Haman's plan, Haman's plan to execute Mordecai, is reversed, and he's made to elevate him. Okay, this is a pivot in the story. It's a. It's a literary pattern that is used over a thousand times in the Bible, this pattern. and The point is simply this, that what God plans for good will always come to good, no matter what the enemy plans for you. The enemy plans to harm, to kill, steal, and destroy. But God says, I've come to give life. So in the darkest moments, in the difficult times... We need to be people who understand we might not know where God is in this moment. We might not see him in community. God, what are you doing in our nation right now? It seems as though the church is evacuating. All the people are abandoning you. What's going on? God says, no, I've got a plan. It's okay. I've got a plan. It's okay. And you're part of my plan. Don't worry. Don't worry. Just hold on. Hold on. And so what, what is reversed? Let me show you how it's reversed. Okay, so... Uh, I'm going to go from, uh, from number six to number one, but I'm going to compare and contrast. So <clears throat> number one, the, the last point I made before the pivot point was uh, Esther's had a, Esther has a banquet and Haman plans Mordecai's execution with that stake, remember? And then Esther's second banquet and Haman is executed on the very stake that he planned for Mordecai. Okay, so now we're beginning to build up on the other side. The, the, this is negative, descending. This is positive, okay? So uh, Esther's uh, second banquet, Haman is executed and Mordecai is exalted. Okay, number five, Esther and Mordecai's plan is to reverse the decree. And then number five over here is Esther and Mordecai's plan to reverse the decree is actually implemented. And then Haman's decree over here to destroy the Jewish people. And Mordecai, his counter decree is to save the Jewish people, is actually proclaimed across the nation. Okay, Then Haman is elevated to power. This is number three over here. And number three over here, Mordecai is elevated to power. And then Esther becomes queen over here and saves the king's life. And Queen Esther and Mordecai save the Jewish people. And then the splendor of the king is celebrated, the first point, chapter 1, of the book of Esther. And then over here, we have two feasts celebrating the splendor and the majesty of Mordecai. And it's a pattern. It's a pattern. So that's all I want to say about Esther, the book. You, you need to understand that this is a literary pattern that is all the way through Scripture. You know the story, uh, Joshua... Uh, well, let me. I'll show you. It's Joshua chapter one. It's verses five to verse nine. You you know that that portion of scripture where Joshua is encouraged, be be strong and courageous. Yeah, yeah be strong and courageous. Don't worry. Be strong. It's another keyism. Let me show you. Okay. Verse <laughs> chapter one. It says, uh, "Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you." I will not fail you nor forsake you. Great. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. That's great, isn't it? It's really encouraging. Be careful to do according to all the... Uh, to to. Um, Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. And here's the key. Here's the pivot point. Here's the the middle of this portion of Scripture. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. And then it's repeated. But you shall meditate on it day and night. It's the same thing. Don't neglect the word. The word is the key. The word is the the pivot point. It's the center. This is the most important part. It's not about being strong. It's being strong because you have meditated on the word. Because you have meditated on the word, you will be able to be strong because you're going you're gonna to go into new territory, so you're going to have to be strong, be courageous. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be with you. But listen, the key, the most important thing is that you meditate on the word because the word points to me, him, not me, him. Okay, let me show you. It says, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success so that's comparing the previous verse be careful to do according to the law which moses my servant commanded you don't turn from it to the right or left so that you may have success wherever you go it's the same thing but it becomes even more powerful because you know that the main point is that you focus on who the revelation of who god is in his word and because you are doing that then he says Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. And the first point, mirroring this last point, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go, I'm with you. So he's saying, be strengthened by the word, but understand that I am with you. I am with you. So the writer of this book, Esther, is fighting to show that when the people of God are buffeted and by forces that they have little power to influence that could easily bring despair and discouragement, there is a God at work, his wonders to perform. Psalm 77 verse 14, you are the God of great wonders. When we understand who he is, when we understand who he is, these, this, all this cascading chaos that we seem to be experiencing culturally, sometimes personally, but certainly culturally, God says, don't despair. Hold on to who I am. Hold on to the revelation of who I am through the word and the spirit. Understand who I am. Hold on to me because I'm not forsaking you. I'm, I'm going, I am with you it might be confusing. You might not like the book of Esther. There's no reference to God. And it's interesting because, you see, I think the book of Esther is an invitation to look for God's activity. Because if you read the book of Esther with this intention, where's God at work? Where's God at work? You begin to see him. And so this attitude towards life is if we begin to look for God's activity... Do you remember Julian Richards talking about the pat of butter in the fridge? Some of you were here. so I, Just show me a hand. Do you, do you know that story? Anybody not know that story? Okay. Julie, Julian said sometimes... Um, uh, what did he call it? Um, uh, yeah, man's eyes. Uh, unintentional blindness. Unintentional blindness. He, and he tells this story... Um, Sarah said to him, Julian, get the butter out the fridge, will you? He opens the fridge door, there's no butter. There's no butter. So he closes the fridge, Sarah, there's no butter in the fridge. Julian, there's butter in the fridge, get the butter out the fridge. So he goes back to the fridge, opens the door, looks for the butter, there's no butter in the fridge. Sarah, there's no butter in the fridge. Closes the door, goes back, sits down. Sarah, uh, Julian, there is butter in the fridge. Go and get the butter out the fridge, please. Stop being a muppet, or, or stop being a man. Yeah. <laughs> So he goes back to the fridge. There is no butter in the fridge, Sarah. There's no butter in the fridge. So Sarah, with a sigh, gets up and walks around the table. This is how he tells it. Opens the door, takes the butter out of the fridge. And his point was this. The butter was not where he was expecting the butter to be. So he couldn't see it. It was three inches lower. Just three inches. Just a shelf below. Now I can empathise with Julian because we've got a drawer in our kitchen that stuff goes in there, and I can't find it. It's and only Ellen can find stuff in that drawer. (laughs) I can find, yeah. (laughs) And his his point. I'm moving on. His point. His point. His point was, is God? Maybe God is doing things in community. And we're expecting him to turn up like this, and he's turning up like this. We're expecting him to turn up here on a Sunday, and he's out there on the Monday. And we, because we are looking with man's eyes, maybe we can't see him. And I think this, this whole the thing that I want to stir with your heart this morning is, to trust him, that he is who he says he is. He does what he says he will do, even when we can't see him, even when we can't sense him. He is true to who he is. And once we recognize this carefully structured pattern that's in this book and that and the point that it's making, and the pivot of chapter 6, where there, are, there will be key moments in our journeys, in our experience, where things will turn around, where things will change, we need to be looking for them. We need to be ready to act. We need to be holding on to him in the, in the cascading moments, but we need to be walking in faith with courage and boldness in the ascending phases. We need to understand that there is a pivot, and that it's in him that we have our hope. God is always vigilant, always watching, never surprised. Always, always, always watching over us. Always wanting to perform his wonders in our world for his glory. With understanding, we, we can get a sense of order and meaning in the chaotic events of life where there is confusion and difficulty. We can hold on to him and say, God, I don't understand, but what I do understand is that you're faithful. You're faithful, you're truthful. You will always be God in my world. And then to ask the question, so what is my role in this position? What am I to do here and now? What is my role in this place? How can I play my part? Because you see, we are called according to his purpose. It says we, are, we know that God causes everything to work together. That's true. Everything will work together and it will be good. It might not be easy, but it will be good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So what's the purpose? What's our purpose? You see, because the writer of the book of Esther is wanting you to understand that his book is a theology of possibility. Do you know what that means? The theology theology is the understanding of God, the growing in your knowledge of God, and God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Did we not hear that this morning? God is able to do immeasurably more. He's so he this letter, this, sorry, this book is written to help the Jews And to help us, as custodians of God's word, to understand that God is able to turn every circumstance and every situation for his glory and our good. But in that event, what's your purpose? The writer would want us to probe these events and be witnesses in our own lives... In the same way that we're witnesses to Esther's life, to step back and say, okay, what's God doing in me? Because if your life is a bed of roses, wonderful, maybe you're in the ascendancy side of the story. But if it's not, like I think most of us might be, are we looking for God's pivot point? Are we looking for his fingerprints in these situations and in these circumstances so that we can actually choose to give him glory can we see the possibility of divine providence in all that is going on in our lives when we read the book of Esther we can see it because we're stood back and we're just reading a story of somebody's journey but can you see it in other people's journeys in other people's stories I, I, I get the privilege, I have a privileged position of actually being able to say, I know loads of you that have had these, this descending and ascending journeys. And it's not just one. It's not just once. It will happen multiple times in your journey. Otherwise, there would only need to be one of these in Scripture, but there are thousands of these chiasms in Scripture, thousands. It's a pattern of descending, ascending. It's never ascending and then descending. It's never getting worse. It's always getting better. There's a cycle. It comes down and it goes up. Uh, I don't know whether you notice my head, but is my head glowing this morning? Is it shiny? Can you see how pink it is? New skin. It's getting better. Yeah, I'm so pleased. I can't stop touching it. It feels really, it feels smooth. And it's not me going, oh, woe is me. I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking, oh, Bill, this is really nice skin on my forehead because uh, cuz I was praying yeah that's what I was thinking I've been praying god I want baby skin on my forehead because it's been it's been really difficult and you some of you notice the all the um the scabs and it looked as though my head had been burnt uh it's because I've been having treatment I notice yours is looking a bit scab mate yeah yeah um on the way up now yeah 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 um um why was I saying that? I can't remember why I said that. Um, can't remember what my point was now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. The doctor said to me, uh, right at the beginning of my journey, the doctor said, um, send me some photographs of your scabby skin. He didn't say it quite like that. He was much more <laughs> medical. <laughs> but, but what I sent him was pictures of my scabby skin um, before, before I started treatment. And um, and he said this to me, he said, um, okay, we need to uh, use a slightly more caustic, he, he didn't use that word, but that's what it meant, that's what it sounded like in my head, uh, cream that will, he said, it will get a lot worse before it gets better. That's what he said to me. It'll get worse before it gets better. And I said, you doctors always say that, don't you? And he laughed, and he laughed. But But God says the same thing. Sometimes, Bill, it's going to get worse before it gets better, but I want you to know that The better is my plan. The better is my plan. The better is my plan. That you would be refreshed and renewed and strengthened, and um, but we must be a people who look at our own lives and consider what God might just be, what might God, God might just be doing what activity is he involved in, in my journey? Where is he working behind the scenes where I'm, God, where are you? Look for him in the places where you wouldn't imagine him to be. He might be just three inches above where you normally put him in your life. He might have just changed position because he wants you to lift your eyes. When Julian shared that information, I, I Immediately thought of Jesus saying to the disciples, when they're walking through the cornfields, because they are looking all around them, they're taking note, they're they're attentive to where they're walking. Because you ever tried walking and not looking where you're going and not looking where you, it's difficult. But Jesus says, lift your eyes, lift your gaze, lift your gaze. Can you not see? Can you not see what I'm doing? You think I'm just leading you through a cornfield, but can't you see that the harvest is ready? Can't you see that there are people who need what you've learned, what you've experienced? We are called to trust God even when we can't see him working. I've got, very quickly, I've got five points to help you hold on. Because you see, I think when we are confused, when we are... Maybe in the descending cycle. Maybe we've we've maybe we're at a pivot point. Maybe something's changing, but we still need to hold on. We still need to trust that He is who He says He is. And so, for me, th- this was just five points that I thought I just want to highlight to you: how to hold on. Um, the first one—it happened to all be peas, actually. i Have just noticed. Um, the first one is His presence. Okay. Hold on to his presence. But how do you do that? Let me just say, it says, he will never leave you. He will never leave you. He said it to Joshua, but he says it to you and me. He'll never leave you. You're his. He's put his mark on you. No matter who stalks you, no matter who comes against you, no matter what circumstances you experience, he says, you're mine. They can kill your body, but they can't kill your soul. You're mine. And one day you'll be with him in glory this old body will pop its clogs, but I am his. I'm his, and I, I'm going to dwell in his presence. Come hell or high water, that's my destiny. But I don't want to wait for, to be totally aware of his presence there. I want it to be here as well. I want people to know that when Bill walks into the room, the atmosphere changes. Not because of Bill, but because of who comes with me you too. Cultivate a passion for his presence. Do not fear, for I am with you. Isaiah 41.10, also Joshua, also Ephesians. But then the second thing is, we need to help us hold on. We need people. We need people. I meet so many struggling Christians that stay away from church. Times are tough. I can't face being with all those people. They're all so nice, and I feel so terrible. I don't want to be with them. Man alive. We need to create an atmosphere where it's okay to be not okay. To, to be amongst your friends. The place you run to is your company. The place where you come and you can say, I feel like death warmed up. I feel terrible. My life is in, a, it is in the shed. I don't know where to turn or what to do. And your friends get around you and say, we love you. We'll pray with you. Come home with us. Have some food with us. Let's do this. Let's, how can we encourage you? How can we support you? People, we need horizontal relationships as well as a vertical relationship, his presence. But we need, we need a horizontal relationship. We need a support group. 1 Peter 4.10 says, use your gifts to serve others. That sounds as though, it sounds like ministry. But it is. But you minister one to another. You can't just have, oh, I'm not feeling okay, I'm going to ring the pastor. No. Ring your mates. Ring your mates. Ring your house group people. Bring the pe- ring the people that you love to hang out with. Pe- ring the people you like. Not just the person that's employed. Surround yourself with good people. Then the third one, I think, to help you hold on is power. And I don't mean Holy Spirit power; that's a given in everything. You need Him, but the power of choice is what I want to focus in on. You see, I, I listened to Erwin McManus. Have you listened to him? Not yet. Oh, I was, I was banging on with Bobby, uh, with um, Dan uh, about uh, listening to this guy, Erwin McManus. Where's Debs? Have you listened, to Debs? Not yet. I shared this video with these two. Let me just put it out there. If you want to be encouraged, listen to this podcast. I'll tell you what, I'll put it onto the WhatsApp. If you're not on the WhatsApp, let me know. And if you're part of here, you want to be on that, I'll put you on. But it's a talk, it's a podcast between Ed Milet, okay, and Erwin McManus. Okay, it is extraordinary. It's an hour and six minutes long. So you can have a couple of cup of coffees and a bit of cake if you're down the gallery, and they might be free. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't. She didn't hear me. Oh, have you got a plan? But listen, in this talk, he said this. He said um, the most spiritual thing you can do, the most. I wrote it down. Where did I write it down? I've got so many scribbled notes here. The most spiritual activity that you can undertake hear it the most spiritual activity you undertake is choice It's choice It's choice he says you choose to pray you choose to worship you choose to be obedient you choose to be generous you choose to be kind the most spiritual thing you can do is choice and and i want to say that there is power in choice paul was in prison And he chose to worship and pray. And you know what happened? Others listened. Others listened. The pivot point for Paul in prison was him worshipping and praying. And the circumstances changed. And the prison was opened and he went free. And, well, actually the jailer got saved and all that stuff. But the kingdom advanced because he chose to pray and worship. Choice. The power of choice You have such power and sometimes you misuse it. You choose the wrong thing. Choose to do the right thing. Choose. The fourth thing is a product of that choice uh, and it's that you will produce. You will produce something out of your life because we're called, if you're going to hold on, you've got to be productive. You've got to become somebody that produces something out of you. If you're a net taker, you need to stop and think, is this the season to take? And that's okay. There is a season where you just receive, where you need people around you. There's been two weeks of receiving for, for Dan and Bobby, and they have so appreciated your generosity and your kindness. Um, uh, was Friday's food nice? Oh, yeah, but I'm asking about Friday. Friday, you were looking, he was talking to me and he was, in tra- he was looking forward to Friday's food. But, um, but your kindness and generosity to them, they have really appreciated. It's produced thankfulness in them because you made a choice to do something. It's produced thankfulness and appreciation and love. And it will maybe shape them to think about, in the future, they'll remember. Oh, do you remember when? <gasps> maybe we should do that for this couple or this situation. See, it produces something, and I think if you're going to hold on, you've got to be somebody that actually chooses to grow, because when you grow, you produce something, you have fruit, and I, and I could talk about the fruit of the spirit, but I, I don't. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about actually when you when you're in a place of suffering, <clears throat> and you choose praise, that suffering produces perseverance in you. you remember Romans 5? And that suffering produces perseverance, and that perseverance produces character, and that character produces hope. Hope is extraordinary. Listen to the podcast, because he talks about hope. He has something very profound to say about hope. Hope is only in the future. The hope that you have for the past is regret hope that you have for right now is just the present hope only manifests in the future hope hope is something that's not yet and and Paul writing to the Romans says listen your difficult circumstances it'll if you hold on it'll actually produce transformation in you, it'll develop your character so much so that your hope will be strengthened. Wow. Wow. The fifth one and the last one is your purpose will be defined. See, we're designed for meaning. With no purpose or vision, we feel unproductive and frustrated. This process that we are in can lead us to finding purpose just as Joseph did uh, when he was, um, when he was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers. And he says ultimately to them in Genesis 50, 50 verse 20, he says this, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people's lives. And this is the point it's about saving people's lives it's about people finding eternal life in christ your Your difficulties your challenges the our community challenges the pressures that Kate is facing and the team are facing with the with the um life hub here are extraordinary extraordinary pressures it's It seems as though um I'm going to quote a number and kind of shake your head at me or just look at me as though I'm right. Kate said projected the projected numbers, potentially, if they, incre- if they keep increasing as they have been doing, of the clients coming in needing support, not just food bank, but food bank, but support, is 12,000? Between, between 10 and 12,000 yeah in this financial year 10 to 12,000 people come through this space every week every 3 days a week imagine if we were doing 5 days a week that's how many people they are seeking to help and it's getting worse but god's got a plan god's got a plan and it's his church it's his bride And it's not just to feed them, but it's to save them. It's for them to encounter the kindness of God, the miraculous, wonder-working power of this creator of heaven and earth that you have the joy and privilege of knowing and experiencing. He can deliver them out of darkness into light. He can pivot their moment. He can pivot and change their circumstances through meeting you Us and bringing them to a place where they can stand on their own two feet, where they've got a life that's not pressurized by financial problems and the tyranny of all that is going on. But it's going to take people like you and me. It's going to take you, people like you and me, to mirror something that Esther did. She said this, and I'm going to finish. She said this when she knew that she was going to have to go to the king, and she couldn't approach the king without an invitation to the king. So she was going to have to push in to the presence of the king when she she wasn't allowed. But she said this. She said, you fast, you lot fast, because he needs to be visited. You lot fast. I'm going to fast. I'll go. And she says this, if I perish, I perish. And everything turned. When people say, God, here I am. I'm going to do whatever I can do. I'm going to fast and pray. I'm going to press into you. Because if I don't go, maybe they won't hear. I'm going to make this life count. I'm going to try and make this life a pivot point for other people. I want my life to be... Be full of chiisms, turning moments from descending difficulty to ascending praise. And I would suggest, if you truly are a follower of Christ, it's your desire to. So I'm going to pray that you would see him, that you would see him. You would catch glimpses of him where you haven't seen him before. In the dark and difficult moments, you will see his fingerprints on people's lives. You'll be able to recognize him moving and you'll be able to keep in step with him because his love is really high, really deep, really, really wide. You can't get away from it. And we need to show people that if they surrender to it, they gain, they gain, and they begin to gain more than they think they will lose. And so this is my prayer. Father, help us to see this pattern where you turn what the enemy has planned to destroy us with. You turn it. You come with power and you transform hearts and minds and souls and circumstances. And you begin to build a people of praise that will bring your glory to communities, to households, to families, to places of employment, to places where your word hasn't been declared. Father, let your kingdom come and your will be done because we are choosing to be people I'm choosing to be a person who says, God, I'm going to look for you in the quiet places. I'm going to look for you in the noisy places. I'm going to look for you where I maybe haven't expected you to be. And I pray, God, that I would have the courage of my convictions to bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.